What is good guys, welcome to Top House Sports, when we analyze and break down sports games from the week, as well as give our reactions and predictions. I'm Hansel Chu along with Katie Mutemid, and we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. So first we have the AFC matchup, Ravens and Bills. What a great game that was, a comeback win for the Bills. What was your takeaway from that game? Um, I think mostly I could like just conclude from that game that no lead is safe. Um, especially with the fact that the Bills have an overpowering offense. I feel I felt as though although the Ravens were up pretty much the entire game, they couldn't just keep the offense from doing what they normally do and have done this season, which is just take over the game. My takeaway was the Ravens were a top contender in the AFC, but after that loss against the Bills, they kind of lowered my expectations for them now, and now holding on to a lead was a problem. First, they had that 20-point lead against Miami, which they blew two weeks ago, and now this 17-point lead where they lost against the Bills. At first, against Miami, I was like, oh, maybe that was just a fluke. A great, phenomenal, almost supernatural game from Tua Tagovailoa and you know Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill. But after the game against the Bills, where the Bills didn't play up to the expectations that we thought they can play to. So with that loss against the Ravens, I don't think they're an AFC contender as we thought they would be now. And honestly, that's a that's a very good take, in my opinion. I think that in the current position that they are, they really got exposed on defense, and it showed how a contending team can just tear them up. And they, I don't see them on that same tier as, say, the Bills and the healthy, healthy Dolphins and those other teams in the AFC that have those title contending ideals. Uh, I'm a little dispute that real quick. The secondary, actually, for me, it looked good on the most part. I think it was the offense that was a little lackluster, a little inconsistent. The secondary looked great on the most part in the first half. They contained the Bills only three points in the first half. Hey, I think that's a big W for them. They played great. I think they're starting to get things together now. We all know the studs are on this Ravens secondary and on their defense, so it's good to see them getting things going in the first half. But second half, I don't really blame that much, letting up 20 points. I don't think that was on them too much. I think it was mostly because... The offense was really struggling in the second half. I'm not sure what happened. Um, the secondary had to be out there again. The defense had to always be out there more than not because it was mostly a three now for this Ravens offense. So I don't know what it is about this Ravens offense. Sometimes they look good. Sometimes they look really off. Um, the run game is their main focal point, so I'm not too worried about that. It's just the passing and decision-making Lamar Jackson makes sometimes. It's going to cost them some games. That most notably, the fourth and goal interception from Lamar Jackson, which was a really gutsy call from Jim Harbaugh and the coaching staff to let Lamar play the fourth down instead of kicking the three to take the lead 23-20. to Instead, they played fourth and goal. What happened, Lamar got pressure from two Bills defenders, and what do you do? He had he can't throw it out of bounds because, you know, that's just a waste of a possession. Could He just could have took three at that point, so he tried to force it inside to the end zone. Unfortunately, it was picked off, so... I mean, going to that last possession right there, the fourth and goal, did you agree or disagree with that decision? Um, I completely di- disagreed with that decision. I feel like you just like you shouldn't be risking it when it's a tie game in general. And the fact that you have a fourth and goal and with an inconsistent, shaky offense that it's been in the second half, you take all the points you can get, you take the lead. You don't want to go for f- go for it all and miss out on a potential lead. And going back to your point as well, I think that the secondary really showed up for the Ravens as I mentioned last podcast honestly i was very impressed with marlon humphrey and um patrick queen stepped up as well he i think bobbled an in, a potential interception but other than yeah. that he had a very very impressive game he did have a good game yeah. but toward the end as well i don't know if you like saw but there were some chemistry issues oh, yeah. there was a lot of heated players on the sideline not happy at all with how things turned out and honestly i could see this potentially going one of two ways one being that they learn from this mistake, they shape up, 
and this powers the team to try and come back and eventually be that contender that we think they can be or this is the start of a huge slump and when they're not going to even become close to the team that we thought they were going to be do you think the fourth and goal decision was based on maybe because the secondary and the defense the jim harbaugh was not confident enough for them to get a stop on the defensive side of the ball or do you think it was just because you know they're just risking it at all trying to because Yes, they two take three, but it gave Josh Allen a, what two minutes ish, two yeah. three minutes left on the clock. So, do you think Jim Harbaugh was, you know, not confident enough for the defense to hold Josh Allen to three points? Because from that decision, it looked like, hey, I don't trust the defense to hold them to three points or yeah. no points at all. I think he was like, oh no, Josh Allen's going to have two three minutes. It's over. He's going to score a touchdown. Did you think that it was just because he didn't believe in the defense at all? Um, honestly, I think it was a bit of the two. While um, I think they wanted to just overall score more than just taking a field goal so that they have a score lead on them, that was definitely a factor. But again, as you were saying, like the defense was a little bit lackluster toward the end of the game, and that's what eventually brought the Bills back. And we know who Josh Allen is. We saw him do it in the game against Kansas City last year in the playoffs. He's fully capable of getting points in big ways down the field especially in two minutes and for the bills josh allen he didn't have the most spectacular game but i think this was a huge reason why he's going to shoot up in the mvp rankings again not only did he just do it passing wise making plays i think it was just the big plays he made the key crucial moments is what defined him during this game and make him shoot up the mvp rankings because he didn't have the best of games but he had that big rushing touchdown where he broke off three defenders tied the game and eventually 80 yards down the field, scored the game-winning field goal for this Bills defense. What was your takeaway for Josh Allen this game? Um, like you said, Josh Allen, stat-wise, was... I, I, I arguably think it was impressive. Although he only had 213 yards, one touchdown, and an interception, I think what really stood out for him this game was his ability to run. And him and Lamar actually have a very comparable stat line. Both QBs had 11 carries, and Josh Allen had 70 yards, while Lamar had 73. And... Josh Allen did end up having a rushing touchdown as well. I think he really impressed in the run game. And as you said, like, this is really helping his MVP candidacy. For sure. And speaking of MVP candidacy, let's move on to the Chiefs and Buccaneers game where the Chiefs, with a performance from Patrick Mahomes, a win 41-31 at Tampa Bay. And what was your takeaway from that game? Huh. Well, first of all, I saw the return of Mike Evans. I saw him blossom and be that number one guy that Brady was missing this whole time. Well, for the game, for the last game because of his, because of his suspension. Um, Chris Godwin was there as well back. Julio Jones was healthy. They got their missing pieces back, and I really think that was strong for them. However, you are playing a very, very talented offense and defense, actually, in the um, Chiefs. So I was not surprised to see the turnout. I expected Mike Evans to have a very good comeback game. And Tom Brady also threw for 385 and three touchdowns, a near-perfect game from him. But that's just not enough to overpower Patrick Mahomes and the rest of the Chiefs. Well, from this game, Lamar Jackson, I'm so sorry. You were my MVP candidate. I'm going to have to step you down. Patrick Mahomes has shot up my MVP rankings. He is my number one MVP candidate so far this season. What he did against Tampa Bay was incredible. It looked like he had a chip on his shoulder from when they lost in a blowout fashion in the Super Bowl almost two years ago. He dropped 41 points on this Bucks defense. If you're not mistaken, this Bucks defense has looked maybe the best defense in the entire league this season. He dropped 41 on their heads, and this play calling has just been, it's almost like they're playing Madden 
right <laughs> now. It's like they're running trick plays around backyards right now because Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are scheming the most wild stuff I've ever seen in my life. I mean, we saw that one play where Mahomes rolled out the pocket, spun off Devin White, and stopped like a pull-up jump shot, <laughs> flung it to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for a touchdown. Like, my goodness, like, what is... That's the most backyard stuff I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and another play, I think, that compares to that is the one, the direct snap, I think it was to Fortson, uh-huh. the tight end. Um, it looked as though they were just struggling to get the ball out. Mahomes was doing some play calling. The distraction worked, and right away, the direct snap was taken, and boom, touchdown. Like, it was just his play calling it was yeah. stellar this game. Andy Reid really impressed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the thing that the, the Chiefs are so good at, and it's just what makes such amazing, great football to watch. Their play calling is not the most traditional thing. It's more improvisation, more, hey, let's go have some fun. And that's the thing that's so dangerous about this Chiefs. They're playing for fun right now. Once they lock in and run plays that are more traditional, like Patrick Mahomes can do anything he wants on the football field, whether that be running slants, traditional routes, or just playing improvisation. You know, let's say... You go here, you go here, let's run this route, let's run this route. He can do whatever he wants on this football field, and this could really shoot up the Chiefs and, you know, Super Bowl favorites right now because they're just doing whatever they want on this Bucks defense that was ranked maybe even top two, top three in this entire league. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to touch up on is the fact that Clyde Edwards-Alaire had a very, very nice game. I think he's fitting into this offense a lot more now that Tyreek Hill's gone, and the running back situation for them, along with Pacheco, their rookie, they're looking really good, and while they may not have the same receiver talent that they haven't have had in years past, they they have brought in Valdez Scantling, they have Smith Schuster. Their wide receiver talent is still not bad. So, having the improved running back play along with the solidified wide receivers in the be- my my best tight end in the, in my opinion the best tight end in the league, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes MVP candidate, that offense is looking just unstoppable. And looking on the Bucks side, are you worried to not worried? Is this the panic button for the Bucks right now, or it's just another game where it's like just a tough opponent? Move on to the next one. Um, honest take, very very honest take. I think it could be time to worry for the Bucks. Tom Brady had a near perfect game, and you they still lost by a sizable margin, and it wasn't because of any specific reason. I feel like this game was largely due to the like uh, the overarching performance of the Chiefs. More than any bad, bad occurrences on the Bucks side. I don't think I'm too worried to be honest. I think it was just because of that first play that screwed it up for the Buccaneers. <laughs> it was just, it just threw off the game so much because the rookie Rashad White he had a fumble on the er, on the opening kickoff, which led to a two pretty much a two second two play touchdown for yeah. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And by the end of the first quarter, it was 14-3 Chiefs. They had to play catch with the whole time. And when you look at the box score. The Bucks only ran the ball six times total. Three, four for Nett, three for Rashad White. So in that time, Brady threw 53 times. He's old, he's 45. When you have a 45-year-old throwing the ball 53 times, it's not going to be a recipe for success most of the time. And Leonard Fournette, he's one of the more physical backs in the league. So for him to only run the ball three times, I think he just really threw off their game on what they really wanted to do. Because I'm pretty sure the Bucks, they want to give the ball to Fournette, the ball, a lot. And the past couple of times, he's been running the ball, what, 18, 20 times? Yeah. So, this run defense yeah. or for the Chiefs really held their ground. I, I believe um, Fournette ended up with negative three rushing yards. But I, I do think that he did have an v- impact on the passing spectrum. He did, I think, have seven or six catches for around 50 yards. And honestly, while he didn't have the most impressive game, 
I still don't see that as a bad game for Fournette. I don't think that any necessary player played bad for the Bucks, besides Richard White. <laughs> I think that really costed them the game, as you said, just having to struggle coming back from down the entirety of the game. It's not something easy to do. And something that's not easy to do is take down Debo Samuel for the for the Los Angeles Rams. We move on to Monday night real quick. The Rams against 49ers. And what an impressive bounce-back game for the 49ers. A 24-9 win. What was your takeaway from that game? My main takeaway, honestly, is if you were to tell me that this Rams team would be the Super Bowl champions the previous season, I would not believe you. I would not. Honestly, they've struggled so much this season. Matthew Stafford has yet to be the normal-looking self that he's been in the years past. Um... The only bright spot for them has been Cooper Cup. He's been consistently good for them. But their defense, they landed the big names. Bobby Wagner's now there. They did lose, however, a few pieces as well, which I think had a very, very imp- like like large impact on the way that they play defense, like Von Miller. we've seen He's been playing in Buffalo. He's been impressing still at his age of 32. But overall, I think that the Rams are just not the same team they were, whether it's just like not having a very solidified wide receiver too like they did last year in Odell maybe Allen Robinson's not that guy for them but they're just they're missing something and I quite I can't quite just put my finger on that for me the Rams offense is just too one-dimensional and limited from years from last year especially Cooper Cup got a lot of targets but we saw Stafford throw the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. Robert Woods when he was healthy Higby a couple other people but for this game Cooper Cup had 14 receptions on 19 targets. Let me say that again. 19 targets. Almost 20 targets. This guy is just feeding the, getting fed the ball like a baby at this point for Matthew Stafford. Let me ask you, Kaden. Is Stafford just targeting Cooper Cup? Or is just the other offensive players not getting open? Um, I honestly think it's the offensive players not getting open. Because in this game, we did see Tyler Higby have a very... You know, like a solid game for him, you know? Like an above-average game for Tyler Higby as well. So he was getting open consistently as well. I think those are the only two to really do that for the offense. So overall, I don't think that it's completely on Stafford. I think the offense is really just having a hard time working together cohesively and getting, like, in the spots that they want to be. But at the end of the day, it is a quarterback's responsibility to try and get them open, running the plays and everything. So I will pin some of this on Stafford for sure. And the run game for the Rams, I saw it was complete awful. 40 rushing yards on 15 carries. That was not going to get it done for this Rams offense, especially when Stafford's struggling a little bit this year and Cooper Cup's the only main source of offense. For comparison, last game, the 49ers allowed 84 yards on 27 carries from the Denver Broncos. So this, uh, this Rams running game really does need to step up a little bit. They have two number one starting running backs that can play on any starting role on any other team with Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers. Do you think it's the O-line that's just making it hard for this Rams team to run, or are you just going to give props to this 49ers defense? I'm honestly going to have an interesting take here. I think that while the... We know we know Nick Bosa, we know um, Fred Warner, we know that their defense is very strong, the Niners, of course, but this running back play has been consistently bad throughout the season. And I think it's time to start realizing that Daryl Henderson, while he did have an impact in the passing game a lot last year on their title run... Cam Akers was practically non-existent until the playoffs. He was out for the year. I don't think that this team has a like running back that they can rely on. And therefore, the split touches, the uncertainty within that spectrum is leading to them just not like just overall confusion throughout the offense, I feel like. 
Yeah, I mean, this running back duo does need to step up a little bit. It's not going to get done with only 40 rushing yards. Hopefully, they can turn around in the next coming weeks. And let's talk about on Allen Robinson. This guy came in for the Rams and is supposed to be an upgrade from Robert Woods and Odell Beckham Jr. from last year. Mm-hmm. Except he has been nothing short of disappointment for this Los Angeles Rams team. Last came two receptions on seven yards on six targets. You know, what are your thoughts about him right now? Um, Allen Robinson's a little strange because when you dive into him, he did have a couple seasons where he was really stellar for the Bears. But since the arrival of Justin Fields, he played that one season with them last year before coming and getting traded to the 49ers. Like, I believe that he hasn't been the same player that he used to be. And while that it may be the case, I didn't expect him to be this bad for them. Like minimal targets, not really having any sort of offensive impact at all. That's not something you should t- typically do for someone who's getting paid to be uh, on this team, a wide receiver too, but arguably on any other team could be a wide receiver one. You think Stafford is just targeting Cooper Cup and not really looking where Allen Robinson is, or is it just Allen Robinson that's not running the routes that well and just not getting open? Um, Honestly, um, we know we know Cooper Cup. He's stellar. And <laughs> 14 catches for 122 yards, Like we know who he is. He'll get open as much as he wants all game. I don't think it's Stafford's fault for wanting to target him because he's open so much of the time. I think it's more more so on Allen Robinson failing to get open. Mm-hmm. Or if he does, it's just like not that much of a margin enough to get it in there to him. As we do see him have that like pair pairing with um Cooper Cup, you know? I just don't see them having that connection. For sure. And this 49ers defense, let me make a great take for them. 49ers defense is going to be the reason why they make the playoffs this year. My goodness, they have been phenomenal. Fred Warner, Nick Bosa's coming back healthy. And I said it last podcast, I said it again, Talanoa Hufanga. He yeah. is him. He is the guy for this 49ers defense. Last, last time I said on the podcast, Hufanga, he's all over the place. But, you know, we haven't seen him make that game, you know, that game impact pick six, the interceptions, all that. Until this game Monday night where he had a 56-yard pick six. Like I said, he's just all over the field. His IQ for the game is just out of this world. He could honestly be a defensive player of the year when if he keeps playing like this toward the end of this whole season because he has just been nothing short of amazing for this 49ers defense. Either you could put him in the box, you could put him in safety. He's going to read all the plays. There's just one play where he screams through this offensive line for the Rams, almost gets to Stafford like, this just this guy's just all over the field. He's going to be the next Troy Polamalu. <laughs> he's spent nothing short of spectacular. From, from what I've seen already, it looks like he's who Jamal Adams thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, he's getting pick sixes. He's getting, you know, sacks. This guy could just do whatever he wants. He's uh, he's the Swiss Army knife for this 49ers defense. Mm-hmm. Um, Have, having yeah. anyone like be that sort of multi-dimensional player, like we've seen it in years past. I feel like with the Patriots having um. Patrick Chung back in that era he was a lot of the time that similar player who would be there in coverage and ready to take and get an interception whenever but also have that threat of being and blitzing the offensive line and getting to the quarterback yeah and this offense had a great bounce back game from last week against the Broncos and I just feel like once this offense gets Kittle back into motion getting back to where he was in like 2020 2019 this could be a very dangerous team to play in the playoffs if they make it. For sure. And I also wanted to t- touch up on one player who I think impressed in the absence of Elijah Mitchell. That'll be Jeff Wilson Jr. I think he had a very impressive game. 
running through the Rams' defense, which is not something that's really easy to come by, you know? He ran, I think, 18 carries for 74 yards, which may not, like, be eye-catching, but it's the yards per carry, which I think was the Mm -hmm. biggest factor. He was not getting tackled. It would be four or five at least almost every time he would go down the field, and that just set them up for success, and that's a, a big reason of why they ended up winning this game, in my opinion, because of the run threat. Yeah, I mean, like I said last podcast, um, this 49ers team, whenever they play the Rams, there's something about them being more physical, more, you know, you know, wanted more on the football field. Just something about being more physical against the Rams is why the 49ers usually win against the Rams. And speaking of being super physical, Josh Jacobs against the Broncos was super physical, oh, leading man. them to a really huge win against this AFC West matchup, where the Raiders took down the Broncos. Drew, to take away from that game? Um, I feel like the main takeaway is that, like, the Broncos are not, I mean, not the Broncos, the Raiders are not a 0-3 team. They never were. They had some very questionable losses, but I think I think that their roster planned out, like, healthy, everyone healthy, that team is a playoff caliber team. And whether or not they make it there, that's going to be tough because, again, the AFC West is stacked right now. But yet again, I think this was a very, very controversial game because of how it could have an effect on the AFC West standings. All the, we, we, we could have seen if the Chiefs ended up losing, which they didn't. But the Broncos could have took, taken the one seed. The Chargers are close to the one seed if things go out right for them. Now the Raiders aren't really close, but they're on their way now after getting this dub. I mean, for me, the Raiders still look a little bit suspect. I'm not going to hold them from their mistakes from the previous games, but you know, hopefully this win can turn things around for them. One thing I caught from this game, I'm not sure if the refs weren't just calling holding on the offensive line, but you know, from that game just alone, this offensive line for the Raiders, you know, it kind of exceeded my expectations a little bit. It actually looked pretty good, holding Josh Jacobs for huge blocks for him to get open downfield for great protection against for Derek Carr. I mean, if you're talking about great protection against this Denver Broncos team, that is a very well effort play from this O line because this Denver pass rush is not something to you know look past by. They've been great through the first three weeks, so for Derek Carr to have plentiful time in the pocket to roll out, make plays, it was great to see from this Raiders O line. Let me touch a little bit on Matt Collins before I get to the Broncos real quick. Matt Collins has been looking like a really great wide receiver two options for Derek Carr. He's six four, tall, lengthy. And every time the ball gets into the red zone, you're going to have to watch out for him from now on because Matt Collins, he could jump through the roof and make those moss catches that he has over these defenders. I'm yeah. not sure we saw against the Titans where he had like two of them. And this game, he had one against um, the Broncos, but it was ruled out of bounds because he had his foot out of bounds. But this guy is going to be a really great red zone threat for this Raiders offense. And for the Broncos, oh boy. It's... <laughs> So it's been a long week for them. Their offense is improving, but just when things were starting to look improving for them, Javante Williams goes down with a season-ending ACL injury. Randy Gregory is going to be out for a couple of weeks with a knee injury. It's going a little downhill for them. What did you take away from that game? Honestly, um, Javante Williams was a big part of this offense, whether he showed it or not. It was the threat of him being able to get downfield, get you the 10 yards in one single carry. It was the aggressiveness that he had pushing through the defense. And overall, he just kept the tempo going for them. Whenever they needed him, he was, he's was he been there, even if the stats didn't show it. Um, and one thing notable to mention is that Melvin Gordon has been really struggling as of recently, too. So now you look toward who's going to replace him. Is it going to be Melvin Gordon, or are they going to have to look for a third option beyond him? We really don't know as of, at, at this point, but 
they, I mean, they did sign Latavius Murray just uh, yesterday. They did, they did. And Latavius Murray could be a threat to take overtake Melvin Gordon. I will not be surprised because Melvin Gordon, as you know, four fumbles already on, this, on the year, averaging one per game. It's just not something you want to see from your starting running back. I think the turning point was when he came in and fumbled for a return touchdown for this Raiders defense. Because yeah. during that time, the Broncos looked like they were getting momentum. The offense was starting to click. And, you know, they were just starting to get it together. They had control of the lead. Everything was going their way until Evan Gordon came in, fumbled the ball, and now they're down again. They have to play catch-up. Yeah. Because for the Broncos, I think they really rely on that run game for them to, you know, take some time off, build some, you know, consistency, just, you know, take time away on the clock. But with that that fumble for them, you know, that forced Russ to throw the ball way more than he needed to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some you know sometimes, you know, this is not the game plan for the Broncos. And I think the main reason also, besides that Melvin Gordon fumble, these turnovers and penalties are just going to hold them back. I'm not sure if it's the coaching discipline for this Broncos team, for this Broncos offense, or is it just the players themselves? I mean, they had seven penalties for that game. It's just inexcusable. They had over, what, double digits in the first two weeks. I mean, I'm not sure if it's coaching discipline, but, the, you know, Nathaniel Hackett needs to tell these players, you know, discipline them a little bit because these penalties are going to kill them for sure. I mean, we had a couple of plays where you know, they made huge progress down the field and they had to go back because of the penalties. And oftentimes, like there was one possession in the fourth quarter, they had two holding penalties, pushed them all the way back to first and 30. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, that is just, I mean, I have no words for that. That's just inexcusable. It's ruining a drive. That's what it, it is. It really, really is. I mean, except for Russell Wilson, where he was able to throw that really long bomb to KJ Hamler. But like either way, First and 30, it's just inexcusable for this offense. Yeah. And I think the defense also got a little bit exposed. But Josh Jacobs running for, what, 130 100, yards? Yeah, 144 yards. That's quite literally insane. I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming either. But, I mean, I think I've been seeing the trend where Jacobs has been having great games against the Denver defense. Maybe it's just something personal for him. <laughs> not too sure. But, I mean, hopefully this will get things going for Josh Jacobs. And just one last thing before we move on to the Patriots and Packers. Hot take... For you, Caden, mm-hmm. agree or disagree, Patrick Sertain next year is going to be the best corner in football. You see, I'm very, very high on Patrick Sertain. I've, I've seen him impress so well in coverage. And honestly, it goes deeper than stats. Like, seeing him dominate and really not allow anything for wide receivers, I think it's very possible to see him emerge as a top five, top three cornerback. But to say he's the best corner <laughs> in the league, I, I can't yet. I Not can't yet? yet. Not yet. I mean, think about this for you to munch on a little bit. When defending Devontae Adams that game, four receptions for 46, three pass breakups on eight targets for Devontae Adams. Adams finished the game with 101 yards, mind you. Nine on right now, nine receptions for 101. Regarded by Sertain, Adams only had four for 46 and three breakups for Patrick Sertain. And this guy's been incredible. Hopefully he could turn things around. Maybe, you know, they should run more man-to-man defense for this defense because, I mean, when you have Sertain guarding the best player, there's pretty much a jail cell for them. Yeah, and again, I'm not hating on Sertain (laughs) by any means. I think he's a fantastic player. I just don't see him as the number one corner in the league possibly yet. I mean, if if things go well this season, you know, anything's really possible. We've seen that emerges before out of nowhere with Stephon Gilmore. He just turned it to a different notch. One defensive player of the year and became the established best corner in the league after that. So honestly, you never know. But from what I've seen so far, I've been very impressed with Sertain's play, and I hope he keeps it up for his sake. 
Speaking of Stefan Gilmore, he played for the Patriots. And let's talk about the Patriots and Packers to end it off the podcast. What was your takeaway from that game? Man, this is a very interesting game. Um, the Patriots started by playing Brian Hoyer. And after a couple drives, he ended up getting a concussion. And so they had to put in their third string, third string um, quarterback, Bailey Zapp. Um, while he did struggle a bit in the first half, he began to find his comfortability later in the second half. Um, the thing that kept the Patriots in this game was their defense. I think they really thrived, although not really having the strength that they would normally have, not having their wide receiver number one and not having the QB one, that really hurts a lot. Jacoby Myers being out, Mac Jones with the sprained ankle. So it's just a little tough on the offense to try and carry that load or to try and like one up the Packers defense, especially when the Packers defense is also very, very talented. But just to say, to touch up on one thing, the stellar defense from the Patriots in this game, I think was highlighted by Jack Jones, the rookie fourth rounder. Um, He has been fantastic. And this was his first start. Keep in mind, this was his first start, and he ended up recording a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, and a pick six. What are your, what are your thoughts on him? I mean, Jack Jones with those stallions, I'm going to be honest, I never heard of him until last or this week. But, I mean, if you have a forced fumble, a pick six, and a forced recovery, I mean, that's a great way to start your career. So, hopefully, he's able to um, you know, keep this going. I haven't really seen him in coverage. I need to see some tape on him, but... I mean, what you said, if he had a pick his fourth fumble recovery, I, you know, it tells me that he's going to be all over the field. For he's sure. going to make plays for this team. Hopefully, you know, we can see him, you know, continue this stellar, stellar play from him. Yeah, and it seems as though the Patriots, like, their strength, or maybe it's just Bill Belichick's strength, they have fines in corners. Whether it's been people over the past, like Stephon Gilmore bringing that out of him, JC Jackson, we've seen him be the um, interception leader for a season as well. Um, Jonathan Jones... Very, very, very solid cornerback who's matched up with the wide receiver ones that they've been playing so far and has honestly, for the most part, done a respectable job. But overall, the corners for the Patriots are just showing up. But the defense overall has a few question marks on it. I believe that um, the defensive line, not struggled, Matthew Judon did his thing, but the defensive line getting pressures to Rodgers was a big part of the game, but they could not close it out. The amount of pressures versus sacks is too much of a differential for you to have. And so, honestly, while playing the Packers, if you don't win on that side of the ball, beating the Packers' defense with a lackluster offense is just not going to happen. We did see the game go into OT, though. We did, yeah. So, that was, honestly, I was a bit dumbfounded by. I'm not going to lie. I did not expect that to be that close of a game down the stretch, Mm -hmm. but it was. I have a quick question for you. So, with the Patriots now flying to the Packers 1-3, do you think it's time for a full rebuild for a full rebuild for the Patriots, or well, are you going to keep the same <laughs> roster? Um, this roster, the way it's put together right now, I they're think still pretty young. Like they are, they're all pretty young. They don't have like super big assets right now. So yeah, what for, do you think? For sure. Um, so with the way things are going right now, I don't see them having anything like notable this season, really. And I really think it's one of those retooling years that you already have some young talent. You do have some abilities to work on and just grow and get better at like i i they just they don't have a wide receiver one i mm-hmm. playing out jacoby myers is great nelson Aguilar has been good for them same with maybe kendrick Bourne and Devontae parker like veteran players they're all veteran mediocre wide receivers that would be solid as a wide receiver two on any team but cannot fulfill the wide receiver one role for the patriots and i think they will truly 
take off once Mac Jones finds a connect and someone who he could rely on who could make plays for them. And like you said, this year is not looking good for them by any means. I do think they should take this year and just calm it down a little bit. Just try and not, not lose couple, games. They have a couple great players that are going to enter the do. draft with wide receiver. I oh, think yeah. The first one that came to my mind was Allison from USC. He's been mm-hmm. looking phenomenal. So, you know, that's maybe something they could, you know, look into. For sure. And honestly, I know that going into the 2023 offseason, they do have a sizable margin of cap space that they're gonna, going to be able to work with. So maybe we see them sign some people as well. There's so many question marks for this team. I think we'll be able to really see it start to emerge toward the end of the season. I think they're going to be a like a four or five win team. I don't see them really winning a lot this year, but that's better for their sake. I think they can do well with some draft capital. Hopefully, Belichick makes some right picks this year. I, ooh, <laughs> one thing I did want to touch up on, um, there was a lot, a lot of hate toward Cole Strange, this, the Cole Strange selection mm-hmm. that Belichick did in the first round of this draft. They said that just fans overall, um, NFL fans were talking about how there was so much talent left at the time, but Cole Strange has impressed by so many means, whether it's taking on the best defensive lineman in weeks past, whether it's been against um, the pass rush of the Ravens, or whether it's Kenny Clark for the Green Bay Packers. He has been just locking it down and not allowing pressures and just making work and allowing for the running backs to really just thrive. And so I'm, I've been impressed with Cole Strange so far. For sure. And let's look at the Packers right now. For me, I think the Packers are just looking really shaky. They're, like, their record is 3-1. and one. It's making them look good. But I think it's, they're, they're frauds. They're frauds. They, like, are. they are not contenders at all. The Packers' offense... They do rely on the running game a lot now since Devontae Adams is not there. Yeah. I mean, almost 32 carries combined from A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones last game against the Patriots. The wide receivers, though, there's just something about them. I'm not sure. They're like the Patriots. They're good, but they still need that wide receiver one. You know, yeah. Romeo Dubs has been looking great so far, but I just don't think he's going to be wide receiver one potential. Alan Lazard is great as well. Six receptions for 116, but... Again, I just don't see them going anywhere if Lazard and Dubs yeah. are your wide receiver one. I, I think it's very situational in the way that Rod, uh, Rodgers is just such a stellar quarterback that he's finding these players open when they are. However, the talent and the individual work that I've seen out of these players, I don't think is going to be enough for them to emerge as those options for Rodgers. I think it's just him targeting them and getting them right when they're open for that split amount of time. I think that's, yeah. And for the... Packers defense, I don't know. I feel like they've just been a little lackluster as well. I just haven't seen them making those explosive plays. Maybe it's just, you know, they're just great. You know, just cause a lot of breakups and stuff. But I just haven't seen anything spectacular from this Packers defense. And when you play against a rookie quarterback in Bailey Zapp and you guys went to OT against them, doesn't really look like contenders to me. Yeah, no. So just seeing as, as everything happened, everything occurred, like with the Patriots, like, I did not think they were going to be in this game to begin with, but the fact that the third-string quarterback was competing with not prime Aaron Rodgers, we'll say, but relatively close to his prime for sure, back-to-back MVPs in the last two years. So just seeing this quarterback duel, I did not see anything to make me think that the Packers will be Super Bowl, just possibility of winning the Super Bowl this year. I did not see that happening. Yeah, I mean, until they get wide receiver one, this Packers uh, Packers offense is just going to look like how it's been okay, but not great as well. I mean, you know, they could have had a wide receiver one. I wonder who that could have been. 
I mean, I guess we'll see, huh? Yeah. Could have been had it. Almost had a wide receiver one. Almost <laughs> had one. But that's all for we have today. And for more episodes, check out Top House Sports on Spotify. I'm Hansel Chi along with Katie Motemid. And we'll see you next time.